to the big thing on Total Soccer Show, the show where we sink our teeth into the big trending topics in the beautiful game. Today, we're turning our attention to southern Italy, where Napoli are dominating Serie A. They're 13 points clear at the time of recording and have won 15 of their last 16 league games. Only Inter Milan have taken points from them in that period. Uh, They last won the league title in 1990 when Diego Maradona was leading the line. And this season, it's truly theirs to lose. So, why is this Napoli team flying so high? How did they reach this point? And what does the road ahead look like for the Neapolitans? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have a man who loves a bit of Calcio, Joe Lowry. Hello. Or ciao. Hello. Ciao to you, Ryan. Um, I don't know how we pulled these strings together and sort of made it so that you would be on the show talking about Italy in some respect, but really good work for all of us because this is only going to be entertainment for all of us. Indeed. Well, you know, I'm universally very positive about this country. Right. Exactly. And, um, and its southern cities. Also here, we have our very own Ruthven Adonna. Graham Ruthven, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. I'm not sure that has the same ring to it as Kavara Donna, which kind of rolls off the tongue. I'm not sure Ruthven Adonna, but I'll take it. I'll take it if I'm being compared to the uh, El Diego. I, I, that hasn't happened often in my life. Lowry Adonna, is that better? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe slightly maybe but not by it's much. not great <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right graham let's get straight into this thing how good or how strong a position are napoli in right now obviously riding high at the top of the table have been for most of the season it does feel like it's theirs to lose doesn't it indeed so just to recap you did a good job of outlining where they are right now but they hold a 13 point lead at the top of Serie A they've played 20 fixtures no team has ever been this far ahead at this stage of the season and not won the Scudetto Napoli have been in similar positions in seasons gone by they were top of Serie A heading into the winter period last season but then injuries hit and took their toll and they they faded away in the second half of the season AC Milan got better they won the Scudetto last season even going back to when Maurizio Sarri was in charge, Napoli were involved in a title race. They were also the winter champions, which is a, a thing people talk about in Italian football, essentially being top at, at Christmas time. But ultimately, that season, they finished third. They haven't been in this commanding a p- position, though, since, as you say, the, the, the last time they won the Scudetto, which is back in 1990, when Maradona played for them. And just personally, talking about how much I've enjoyed watching them this season... I've enjoyed watching Napoli more than any other team this season. They have been incredible. So you mentioned the the amount of matches they've won, but not only that, the goals that they've scored. They've scored 48 goals in 20 games in Serie A this season, and that just reflects just how dangerous they are as an attacking team. On top of that, they've been excellent in the Champions League, so they've won five five of, of six group stage matches, the one defeat coming in a dead rubber in their last game away to Liverpool. They finished top of that group, and that was a challenging group ahead of Liverpool, ahead of Ajax. Rangers were the whipping boys in, in that group. And for my money, they've, they've just been, not only have they been the strongest team in Serie A this season, they've probably been the strongest team in the Champions League. And and that could actually be, everyone's focusing on the Scudetto because there's the romance with the Maradona connection. And I think Napoli fans have put a real emphasis on winning a Scudetto because it has been within it has been within touching distance in, in, in recent years they've never quite got it but the real storyline could be that they, this is a club that's never won a European Cup before as a club and before this season I would never have considered them among the teams capable of winning the Champions League no. but if they continue the way they're going right now and if they continue what they showed in the group stages I'm they might just I, I might just have them as the favourites to win the Champions League and that could be the where the real I know it's a cliche term, but that could be where the real fairy tale is for them this season. Definitely. Eintracht Frankfurt in the next round as well, Graham. It does feel like a, a relatively speaking, a favourable draw for them. Yeah, winnable, you you would say. And, and I, I like it. You don't want to write off any teams. Eintracht Frankfurt, Frankfurt, of course, won in the Europa League last season, so they have quality as well. But I like how that tie kind of maybe eases Napoli back into the Champions League again and they can ramp things up. And if they have uh, La Liga, excuse me, uh, Serie A, the Scudetto, tied up quite early, which at this point looks possible, then that could aid them in the Champions League as well, where maybe they're able to rest some some players and kind of place more of a focus on that. Definitely. Joe, um, I know you have uh, some love affairs for certain teams like Ajax. How much are we loving Napoli this season? We're loving Napoli a lot. Because of all of the reasons that Graham said, because of the the tactical approach, 
from Spalletti is 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 so fun to watch. It's a four three three. They play with the ball. I mean, they are they're just a joy to watch right now. So a couple of of numbers to toss in to sort of underline all of the things that Graham has said and some of the things that I just said. So Opta has these new club rankings, right, where they somehow figure out how good a team is based off of a number of different statistics, and they plug it all in, and they, they rate them. Basically, they power rank them, and then each team has a rating. According to Opta, according to those ratings, Napoli are the fourth best club in the world right now, which is an incredible number for a team that has undergone as much really turmoil and, and certainly changes in terms of the squad and the key players over the last year. They're the fourth best according to Opta, and they're the ninth best according to a similar concept from 538. Both of those rankings have Napoli as the best club in Italy by a wide margin. So they're good, and they are Champions League threats, especially with Frankfurt. I don't I don't know that I'm all the way there on them being the best team in the Champions League so far. Bayern Munich won a perfect 6-for-6 six six in the group stage, uh, 18 points. I don't believe any other team did that. Napoli did not end up with 18 points. But, I mean, they played some good soccer, and they they absolutely demolished Liverpool in that group stage, which was a real statement victory for them. So to look at some stats in the league, Graham, you mentioned the goals. They're first in Serie A in goals. They're first in Serie A in goals allowed, meaning they've allowed the fewest goals. They have the best goal differential, which makes sense when you're first in both of those previous categories. They're first in expected goals. They're second in expected goals allowed behind Jose Mourinho's Roma, which which makes sense given what we know about Jose Mourinho. They're first in expected goal differential. They are first in the league in possession percentage, which just says that they like to have the ball. It doesn't say anything about whether or not they're good with it or not. But they have a, a decent margin between them and, and the second-place team in that particular category. And really, on the whole, their attacking numbers compare really favorably with Manchester City and Arsenal in the Premier League, Real Madrid in La Liga, PSG in, in Liga. This team is right up there uh, with the best teams in Europe right now, and they are certainly the best team in Serie A. Very good. So it seems to me, Graham, there's two key players who have been stealing the headlines for Napoli this season. Uh, Mr. Osman, who scored uh, mm-hmm. an aforementioned incredible goal this past oh, weekend. Yes. And uh, Kavica Kavatskelia, Kavaradona, the aforementioned as well, who seems to be somewhat of a sensation. Oh, I'm surprised Chelsea haven't paid 200 <laughs> They probably tried. They probably tried. And they'll, they'll try again at the end of the season. Um, yeah, you're right. You can't talk about Napoli at the moment without mentioning those two stars. I, I will I will start off with Kavaratskelia, as you say, Kavaradona. As he's as he's known by by the fans, it's rare in modern soccer with all the coverage and information out there that a complete unknown can emerge and immediately become one of the best players in in Europe. Maybe this is my ignorance, and I I didn't I don't watch a lot of or any Georgian soccer, so Shameful. I hadn't heard Shameful, of uh, absolutely Scalia. unreal. Call yourself a football <laughs> expert? That I is know. shocking. <laughs> so so ignorant of me, but I I hadn't heard of Skelia before this season. But he is, he's been incredible for Napoli. They signed him from Dinamo Batumi in Georgia in the summer for a fee of just 10 million euros, which just looks like incredible, almost yeah. laughably good investment now. Um, when they sell him, and unfortunately we'll come on to whether this team is going to get picked apart later on, but I think it probably is a when rather than an if, just given where the club is and the, the hierarchy, of, hierarchy of wealth in European soccer. When they sell him, they're going to get over 100 million euros for him. So... They're going to make a huge profit on him. He's an incredible dribbler. He can beat a man. He can get in behind. He carries a goal threat. He's a good crosser of the ball. He is the attacking hub of this Napoli team, and they look for him as frequently as as possible because when he gets the ball, stuff happens. And then another player who benefits from that is Victor Osimhen, and he scored 15 goals this season. He is an excellent finisher, as you say, Ryan. His goal against Roma last week was one of the goals of the season and demonstrated just how ruthless and explosive and how spectacular he is as as a player. He's good in the air, which is a good thing given the, the supply that uh, Cavaradona provides him. But a large part of Osman's quality is, is what he does out of possession. He leads the counterpress, and Napoli are a very good counterpressing team. He's incredibly mobile. He sets the tone, tone from the front for what Napoli do, and Napoli are just so exhilarating in terms of their levels of fitness, how relentless they are over the 90 minutes. They played a couple of games recently, one against Juventus, where they absolutely demolished Juventus, either 5-0 or, or, or 5-1, I think that game was. And then that game I mentioned against Roma where really those teams buckled because 
Napoli kept going at them for the full 90 minutes. They are incredibly fit. And I think Osman is, as I say, he's the one that, that sets the tone in terms of their intensity and the opposition half on and off the ball. Yeah. So those are the two... There are, there are more players that contribute to this Napoli team, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about them. But in terms of the two main stars of this team, certainly in an attacking sense, those are the two guys. It's, it's quite interesting, Graham. I went to Naples at the end of last summer. Uh, I had a good walk around the streets. Lots and lots of soccer stuff, uh, like soccer shirts, uh, Napoli shirts being sold everywhere, essentially a one-team town as it is. Um, of all Of the many dozens, possibly hundreds of shirts I saw on sale, I saw one Victor Osman shirt on sale. This was pre Cavaradonna breakout. So one Victor Osman shirt. The rest had another name on them, Graham. Uh, and it wasn't the current player. Hmm. Uh, hmm. There's a, there's a, a big Maradona statue in the middle of the city. Like he, he, This city is still absolutely obsessed with Diego Maradona yeah. for what he did for them in the late 80s, early 90s. And deservedly so. They obviously renamed their stadium when he passed away in his honour. And I wonder, Graham, if this team becomes the first team to win the league title since Maradona. Obviously, I'm not going to say that these two players are Maradona-esque, but whether the city shifts away from its Maradona obsession a little bit and gives a bit more praise to this current generation, particularly these two stars. You, you would think so to a certain extent. I don't think Maradona as an icon will ever be surpassed for the, for the city of, of, of Naples. I think what he stands for is almost as important as the player that he was for Napoli. So there's this whole north versus south divide in, in Italy, which Ryan, you will know more about than any of us. Yeah. And really Maradona going to a southern team rather than one of the, the superpowers in the north of Italy was was a statement on, on his behalf and kind of what he stands for as a person. So I think that was as important for the Napoli fans as, as I say, what he did on the pitch. And I'm not sure Kvarat Scalia and Osimhen are quite at that level in yeah. terms of symbolism. But these two players, it feels like... And look, Napoli have had good teams... In the past, they've had they've had players that the, the fans have taken to their heart. Dries Mertens maybe being one of the, the, the most recognisable names. Lorenzo Insigne as well. But I would suggest Kvart Scalia and and Osman are on a higher level. As good as as good as Mertens and, and Insigne and Fabian Ruiz and these players were and Koulibaly were for Napoli. Well, maybe Koulibaly is closest to that level. But in an attacking sense, these two guys are, are they're unlike anything Napoli has seen on an individual level, level since Maradona. Indeed. Joe, uh, who else should we be shouting out on this team besides those two? I want to I want to start with Luciano Spalletti because I th- I think he is someone that ha- probably hasn't quite gotten as much praise as he's deserved this season. So took over Napoli before last year, finished third in the league behind the two Milan clubs. It's a, a decent finish for Napoli. Got them in the Champions League where we're seeing them right now. And then the squad lost a bunch of players. And Graham, you referenced a lot of them right there. They lost a ton of minutes out of the team and a lot of star power out of the team as well. Kalaru Koulibaly moves to Chelsea and there's a whole mess around that with the fans and, and a lot of anger and, and really protests from fans surrounding that move and them allowing him to leave. Koulibaly played 2,800 minutes in, in the back line in, in the center back spot and was excellent for them and is, I, I think, still a really good player. Fabian Ruiz, 2,400 minutes for them. They lost that out of midfield. Lorenzo Insigne goes to Toronto. That's 2,300 minutes. Dries Mertens, 1,400 minutes, but 11 goals, right? I mean, he was not messing around there. And David Ospina was their starting goalkeeper. He played 2,800 minutes for them, played basically every game, and, and he was gone. So the fact that all of those key players have departed this team and Spalletti has them humming better than they did last year, I think is incredibly impressive. For me, the, the transition around Napoli from 2021-22 to, to this year, 22-23, is the most interesting part of this entire story. And, and that's me because I, I like to nerd out about what's happening on the field and how these teams are built and, and how the players work together on the tactical side. So I, I am drawn to that stuff more naturally. But I think it's, it's shocking how good Napoli have, has, has been this year. You go back and read the coverage of them when all these transfers were going down and they, they, they lost all these different players. The, the feeling about this team was overwhelmingly negative from people covering the team, from fans, certainly. There was not a lot of belief that this club would be where they are right now or, or would even be within a, a stone's throw of where they are right now, that they might even not be in the Champions League spots and all of those kinds of things. The fact that the team has improved this year, more goals, uh, fewer goals allowed, better expected numbers, higher in the table. I mean, they are better basically all the way around. I mean... Spalletti could be a big part of getting this team back to where they've they've been in the past and back in, in 1990 when they win Syria. And then one other name I want to toss in 
is Cristiano Giantoli, who's the sporting director for this team. Uh, he's identified a bunch of really good players, Cavaradona being one of them. Uh, Osimhen comes in before, uh, he comes in in 2020, August of 2020, I believe. And then Kim Min-Jae, who's in center, uh, at, at one of the center back spots for Napoli, coming over from Fenerbahce. He has two goals this year as well. That's another good signing for them. The midfield three is, I mean, just every part of this team, almost every part of this team is humming right now. And Spalletti and, and Cristiano Giantoli deserve a ton of credit for that. Yeah, Kim, Kim, you highlighted Kim Min-Jae there, Joe. He, in particular, I think he's the closest. I say, obviously, I said that uh, Osman and Karatskele are the two superstars, but, and obviously, we gravitate towards attacking players when anointing players superstars, but he he's pretty close to that level as, as well, or he has been this season. And the fact that they lose Koulibaly, who for a number of years was their, their dominant centre-back, they built their defence around him, you would assume there would be a massive drop-off or at least some notable drop-off after he goes. But then to bring in Kim Min-Jae from Fernabachi in the summer for 18 million euros, and once again, that looks like a real bargain, and he has just been an absolute rock for, for Napoli. And you would say perhaps even he's been an upgrade on Koulibaly, which is, feels ridiculous to say because I didn't think that was a, a, a likely outcome at all. But he has fantastic awareness of, of when to step out and when to nip in ahead of a, an attacker to win the ball. He is extremely effective in the tackle. So he has an 85% tackle success rate in Serie A this season, which is a higher rate than any other defender in the league. And in a lot of ways, Napoli are this, ve- are this very modern, expansive team. And, and Spalletti has spoken about, he's not, so, he's, he's not so set on formations and shape and structure. He's more about how his team uses space. And that, that kind of feels like potentially he's setting the zeitgeist for the next little while in, in, in soccer. So very modern team in a number of respects. But then Kim Min-Jae is like an old school, traditional English centre-back, no-nonsense centre-back, you know, crosses into the box, he'll he'll head it away, he's strong in the tackle, but then he's also very good in the ball. So he kind of feels like the, the complete central defender and the fact that they found him for 18 million euros from Fernabachi is just an incredible recruitment and scouting. Good stuff. All right, let's take a quick break. Before we do, by the way, Joe, um, you mentioned Spalletti at the top there. Um, it reminded me of my favourite soccer manager fact that Luciano Spalletti has a pet duck and um, it's called Biancaneve, Snow White. It's very cute. <laughs> That's it's, so it's, good. I love it. Yeah. yeah. He, he, also, he also drives a Fiat Panda he does. and it got stolen. That's right. He drives a Panda, which is basically, um, they're like the backbone of Italy. Like they're a very solid, like they're, they're all wheel drive cars and people here, even though they're like 30 years old, they'll drive them up like mountains, yeah. basically. They're incredible cars. But it's very. Uh, it's like a compact, a very cheap car, so you wouldn't expect uh, yeah. someone of his. But the, th- to the thing is with that, so there's there's two there's two strands of that. So one is with the protest that you were talking about, Joe. The ultras. So his car got stolen, and it's unclear whether it got stolen by the ultras. But then the ultras put up a banner saying, "If you leave the club this summer, this is the end of last season. If you leave the club this summer, we will find and return your Fiat Panda to you." And the reason that a lot of footballers and Spalletti drives a a, a, a Fiat Panda, which is, you know, it's not a car you would expect a, a, a wealthy football figure to, to drive, is that the ultras in Italian football, if things are not going their, your way, their team's, their team's way, as you're driving into training, they will, like, batter the car as it's driving into training. So you get a lot of Italian footballers, particularly in the, in the south, I think, where a lot of the ultras are, are most intense, shall we say, they will drive kind of older cars that you just wouldn't expect footballers to drive which i just it's, think is quite it, funny it's it's fine if the panda gets battered it's fine if it gets stolen but if anything happens to that duck so help me oh. so help me we are going to italy and we are finding it and we are taking care of it joe naples is um it can be a bit of a rough city it's not the safest place in italy and it's um unfortunate um sort of aspect of the south but i think even the ultras would have respect for bianca navy the duck i would hope okay that makes me feel better okay. Good. Okay. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's learn more about how this team was put together back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing discussion of NAP. Bolly. Um as we mentioned, Graham, before, a bit of unrest at the start of the season uh, from mm. the fans, from the ultras who don't take nonsense <laughs> particularly. They are uh, hard to please much of the time. Um, and they were sort of talking about the lack of transfer activity, which seems a bit twee when you just uh, think about that now. But uh, should we talk about Aurelio De Laurentiis, who is yes. the owner of Napoli, uh, also a film producer. He's made quite a lot of Hollywood films. Uh, and a, a weird link I have to him is my wife's uh, school. She teaches in Rome at an English-speaking school, a, fa- a fairly fancy school. Um, and his grandson is a student at the school. And my, one of my friends, who is a Roma season ticket holder, turned up to our uh, our uh, rec game uh, a few weeks back wearing a Napoli shirt. And we're like, why are you wearing that? They're not particularly friendly, those two clubs. And he's like, his you know, De Laurentiis' grandson's over there watching so <laughs> <laughs> so any other shirt would have been unacceptable it's like it was gifted to him by the de Laurentiis, so he had because he's their teacher and he had to sort of uh did that one have maradona on the back it didn't it was uh oh who did it have it did have someone i forget it, anywho there was i thought that was quite amusing um but he is uh de Laurentiis is a roman uh but very much um well how is he perceived by the naples uh fans? yeah so he's quite a bullish figure i think it's fair to say um in terms of his character, not not someone who shies away from controversy, and he's no stranger to providing a notable quote through the media, shall we say. Mm. Um, he has faced protests numerous times over the course of his uh, 18 years, 17, 18 years, as, uh, as owner and president of, of Napoli. And actually, things seem to be coming to a head in 2019. So as, as we've talked about, there were protests before the start of this season, but they kind of paled in comparison to the protests in 2019. Um, and that's really when those protests and fan unrest and, and the direction of the club in general seemed to be at a bit of a, a crossroads. There was an offer from Qatar to buy the club at that time. So that was a talking point. 
Fans were furious at Carlo Ancelotti for leaving for Everton at that time. They called him a, a, a mercenary. They were they were furious at what they perceived to be a lack of effort from the players. And De Laurentiis was one of those unhappy with the players. There was a lot of quotes uh, basically questioning the integrity of his own players, specifically talking about names and naming name naming and shaming in in the media and then he arranged a mid-season training camp for them almost as as a punishment and there were stories of players being made to run laps and double sessions and so on so it's fair to say he's a little bit of a wild card um but despite this his time as owner if you look if if you take a big picture view over the course of the 18 years Napoli were in the doldrums before he took over 18 years ago. Um, after they win the Scudetto in 1990, Napoli have financial issues. They they don't really get back to that level really until um, maybe about 10 years ago is when Napoli start to, to put a, a strong team together. You'll remember they have Edison Cavani around about that time. Um, and he's a, he's a hero for them, an icon for them. And they've been in the title mix a few times over the, the last kind of 10, 12 years. Um, they've had world-class players. But with De Laurentiis, you always feel like there's maybe a crisis just around the corner, even if things are are going well as they are this season. It feels like he can put his foot in things sometimes. And as I say, he's, he's, he's not afraid to take a hands-on approach to being a bit of a disciplinarian. I, I see him, Graham, maybe this is a strange reference, but I see him as like an Italian Alan Sugar. Obviously, like a powerful man who's made his way in the game, but also slightly derided by people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perhaps. I mean, I think Spurs fans are quite thankful that Alan Sugar isn't their owner any anymore. <laughs> um, so maybe he's he's got a better track, or De Laurentiis has got a better track record with, with Napoli. But I can see that comparison. Indeed. Well, obviously, uh, the uh, fan unrest of the last few years uh, is a good investment in anger because it's uh, 13 points clear this team as it is right now, Joe. But what about the investment in the team, Joe? Yeah. How how has this come together from what you can see? Is it Has it been uh, intelligent scouting? Have they just lucked out with the likes of Cavaradona? I like that Ryan's takeaway from Napoli's success is just that people should protest and be angry at soccer teams more and that will make them better. I think investment that is... Investment in anger, yeah. Right. I think I think that that all checks out in my view. <laughs> uh, good scouting does always involve elements of of good fortune. Right. I, I think it is so difficult to get transfers right. And, and so often they fail for a number of different reasons. Former shoot. I'm blanking on what his title was uh, with, with Liverpool. But Ian Graham was involved in their scouting department and, and was doing a lot of of the, the data work and thinking through a lot of these moves that have turned Liverpool in or, or that did turn Liverpool into a giant in the Premier League and really update them into this modern era. And he's talked about how transfers have such a low percentage of success because there are, you know, a dozen things that could go wrong. And each one of those possibilities knocks off the probability of you succeeding. So it's, it's hard to get transfers right, but Napoli seemingly have this kind of insane hit rate on their recent signings. Graham, you mentioned 18 million for, uh, for uh, Min Jim, uh, excuse me, Min Jae Kim. That was a hugely smart bit of business for them from Fenerbahce, getting him in from, from Fenerbahce in Turkey. Matthias Oliveira at left back, $11 million from Hetafe in La Liga. I think it was a, a pretty good deal. He doesn't have to, to play every minute of every game for them, but I think that's a, a smart move. And then Kavaradana, who we, we've already talked about in plenty of detail. They haven't hit on every transfer over the last few years, but Cristiano Giantoli, I think, has done a pretty good job at identifying players since he joined the club in 2015 as their sporting director. Signed Pepe Reina, signed Piotr Zielinski, signed Fabian Ruiz and Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Irving Lozano and Osimhen and Anguissa and Cavara. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. And those signings, I think, are a big reason why Napoli have finished in the top three, seven of the last 10 seasons, which in my view, as someone who's not steeped in the world of Italian soccer, that's that's pretty good for a club of, of Napoli's stature. They're not one of the biggest clubs in the world. They're not splashing an insane amount of cash. I think that's a strong resume that they've had. They identify good young players. They they integrate them into the team, but it, it's not like they're having to to start every single game if Cavardana wasn't ready and wasn't playing at his level. They have other wingers that are maybe a little bit closer to their, their prime or maybe just past it, but have more experience that could be in that team. They have options at, at basically every position. They're a model team, I think, in, in the way, in, in terms of scouting, in terms of identifying these players and bringing them along. 
Uh, I, I think they've done a lot of good stuff in that regard, and, and they do deserve credit for for all those things. The only other note on this is, and this kind of speaks to a lot of what I just said, Napoli at some point were linked to Ronaldo in the whole Ronaldo sweepstakes thing. Maybe it was in the summer. Maybe it was more recently. Maybe it was both. And basically, they just flat out came out and said, no, like we don't, we don't want Ronaldo. We like to sign young players. And I think that is really fitting, and that is a perfect example of how they've tried to build this team. They're not going to try to go out there and pull Juventus and bring in a Cristiano Ronaldo that's going to distract from everything else they're trying to do and to build. So, uh, yeah, credit to Napoli for the squad they built. Uh, certainly luck involved, but a lot of really smart moves in there. Yeah. There's just such a clarity to what they do with with a lot of their transfers. And, and in some cases, it's going to markets that maybe a lot of the big clubs don't look to. So, Kavart Scalia is a perfect example of that with, with Georgian football. Even, I know the Turkish league is a lot bigger than the, the Georgian league, but Nonetheless, not not a, a huge number of big teams going to Turkey to 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 sign players, and they did that with uh, Kim Minjay. But even identifying talent within Serie A with the ability to step up, so players like Raspadori and and Giovanni Simeone both signed this summer from fellow Italian clubs, and Napoli are just so good at identifying players that are at that the the, the point of their career they're just ready to take that next step to become top top tier and even and Giovanni Simeone I think is the perfect example of that because everyone knew Giovanni Simeone's potential and it's only this season and even even still this season it's a, as a depth option but he's been really important in, in that role but this season taking that next step in his development Raspadori as well has done something similar so as I say it's, it's it's the clarity that they move with that I think is so important it's so impressive even so is it fair to say Graham that Napoli have a good philosophy in place or certainly a good structure for their team, whereas maybe some of their rivals don't. Maybe I don't know. Juventus, for example, may, may not sign players with quite the same intent and philosophy. Yeah, I think so, and I think a lot of that comes down to Luciano Spalletti. So Joe mentioned the work that the, the sporting director at Napoli uh, does, and that deserves credit. But I, I do think Spalletti is still the person who really dictates the direction of that club and the identity of 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 that club. And there's an interesting, just going back a little bit to his his tactical. Um, viewpoint his outlook there's a really interesting quote from him this season in which he said systems no longer exist in football it's all about the spaces left by the opposition you must be quick to spot them and know the right moment to strike have the courage to start the move even when pressed and so I just think that that sort of sets the mold for everything that Napoli do they find players that are able to do that and so there's a number of there's a number of transfers. I'm, I've no doubt the sporting director is leading a lot of things, and there's a lot of good scouting there and analysis going on. But Spalletti, it seems like a lot of the deals. Kim, for example, was one of them. He was determined to 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 get him in from the reports that I I read. Kvart Scalia as well. He saw them him as the perfect uh, replacement for Insignia in his team. And so, I, I, again, I come back to that word clarity. It, it links everything from, from the coach to the sporting director to the business that they do in the transfer market to the, the negotiations that they do, the fact that they know when to move players on as well. I think you look at a lot of those players now who were key players for them last season, Insigne, Mertens, even Koulibaly for Chelsea this season has not been great. It feels like they have a good recognition of when the tipping point is for players and when they need to get younger. And that was the, the intent last summer was to get younger and boy have they achieved that and some they have indeed all right let's take another quick break when we come back uh let's look ahead to the future what would this mean to napoli if they were to claim another scudetto back shortly this episode is brought to you by linkedin jobs who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role you don't want to end up with ryan graham and joe just kidding just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can 
very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing discussion of Napoli. Joe, is it fair to say that Napoli are benefiting from the rest of the pack not necessarily giving them a good um, title race this season? Obviously, the Juventus having their scandal um, rather affecting their fortunes, but even Milan being in pretty poor form, certainly in the last few weeks. Oh, 100%. I think that is another one of these factors that really adds to Napoli's run this season they've been very good in their own right and I think they would still be on top of the table if a lot of these other teams hadn't collapsed quite so hard but it it helps right and it gives them a cushion to go all the way back to what Graham said earlier in the show it gives them cushion to maybe make a run in the Champions League that we didn't expect coming into this season it allows them to devote more resources to that competition which is huge for them as well when you think about prize money you think about I mean Syria spent so little money in the January transfer window so little money and there's a whole mess of financial issues in Syria right now and and I think there's a, a bunch of a bunch of different categories here but having extra cash is is very helpful for all of these teams and for Napoli they are absolutely aided by the struggles of other teams even think about Juventus kind of just folding this year even before that 15 point reduction they weren't they weren't a threat like like Napoli has had much more cushion than any of us expected certainly than I expected coming into this year yeah it's a it's a massive help that Inter and, and Milan and Juve have been poor this year, at least relative to last. Yeah, I mean, Graham, any thoughts on that? It looks Inter obviously in second place, uh, and Inter it's a Milan derby this coming weekend, as we yeah. record as well. So one of those teams is going to probably likely take points off one another. Well, they definitely will. Um, but who who is going to be the biggest shark in the tank for Napoli right now? So. I don't want to tempt fate, but right now I'm not convinced anyone can pose a threat to, to Napoli. I, I do kind of subscribe to the idea that the Scudetto race is maybe sewn up at this point. I just I just don't see anyone truly emerging from the pack. Joe outlined AC Milan, Inter, Juventus, all deeply flawed this season, all struggling for consistency. I think um, if there's a team that could, that could maybe gather some momentum in the second half of the season, I'd, I'd maybe look at Atalanta. Um, and in a way, they are a Napoli light in the in, in the way that they're playing with such attacking threat. They score loads of goals. Adamola Lukman has been incredible for them this season, which was a storyline I, I didn't expect. But, but they also had to rebuild in the summer. Gasparini has been there for a long time. He had this one good team. Now he's building another good team. They're fourth in Serie A at the moment. They're, they're one of the most informed teams in, in Italian football right now. But they are 15 points behind Napoli. So... That's a lot of ground to make up, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if Atalanta finished second, which would, would give a wow. an unusual look to the Serie A table if they're second and then Napoli are top for the first time in, in 33 years or whatever it is. The the one thing, and I'm I'm hesitant to mention this because this is like a dagger in, into my heart, this, this, this risk, this threat, this looming threat over Napoli at the moment, but the one thing that could stop them is the scandal that feels like it's going to engulf all of Italian football at some point soon. So Juventus have been docked 15 points, as Joe mentioned, for financial irregularities and essentially inflating transfer fees over a number of years. And Napoli are also being looked at at by the investigators. And one transfer that is particularly interesting to those investigators is Victor Osman's move to Napoli from Lille in 2020. Basically, that transfer was put down as a 70 million euro deal, but players were included to make up that fee. And essentially, Napoli ascribed a value to those players. And so the suggestion is that those players maybe weren't worth 70 million once he put that deal together and that inflated the number. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Napoli could be handed a, a punishment, much like Juventus. I would be surprised if it's as severe as what Juventus uh, were handed. But that obviously would impact their, their their title chances. But the way they're going, yeah, 
a points deduction might not <laughs> yeah. even matter. I mean, if, if they get fit, if they were to get exactly what Juventus got, which is a 15-point deduction, which I, I I think that's unlikely. I, I think Juventus will get the harshest punishment. I, I would still say Napoli are going to win the Serie A title, so they might have given themselves a big enough cushion that that doesn't matter. Surely, Graham, it's getting a bit late in the season for a, a punishment to be put on Napoli. Okay, granted, the Juventus punishment wasn't that long ago, but the, the more and more weeks go by of this season, with this investigation, if they if they do a if they put a punishment in you know four or five weeks time, that's pretty rough, isn't it? I to be honest, I don't think the investigators care that much about at what point of the of the season it, it, it would be. My the last reporting that I read was that having dealt with Juventus, they were now looking at other clubs, and there it's not just Napoli. There, there I think there's ten Italian clubs in total, so there's a good. It was something like 70 transfers and Juventus were involved in about 40. So that's why they've been dealt with first and why you would assume they will be handed the, the harshest penalty. But Napoli are among those 10 teams being looked at. And as I say, I'm not sure. I do believe it's a police investigation. And, and so I'm, I'm not sure unless maybe some of the police have uh, Napoli on their accumulator, their parlay for, for, <laughs> for this season. Um, I'm not sure they're that, they're that bothered when those punishments are handed out. Oh uh, boy. Yeah. Well, you know, there's no corruption or anything like that in Italy. No, so not at all. We don't have to worry about that kind of thing. So let's not <laughs> concern ourselves with it, Graham. But in terms of Napoli as a soccer city, obviously we've, we've outlined it. They are it, basically, from my experience there, Graham, it's a Maradona-based economy entirely <laughs> in, in Naples. Like everything is about him, basically. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's for, for all the reasons we've outlined already, he's a, he's a folklore legend. He always will be in that city. But winning the Scudetto once again, would be absolutely incredible for the city, which, as we've mentioned, is in the south of Italy, which is, you know, has relative, uh, not not as wealthy by any means as the north, uh, a little bit derided by the north by by Italians as well. So for them to do this would be truly remarkable. Yeah, and this is the main reason I want Napoli to get over the line. I'm fairly invested in this story at, at this point. That city is going to have one hell of a party if mm. if they do it in in May. There's all sorts of societal and polit- political things wrapped up in Napoli as as a as a football club, and as you say, the north versus south divide, and the fact that the wealth is kind of funneled away from the the south of of Italy towards the north, where you find AC Milan and Inter Milan and Juventus and a lot of the big superpowers. But this is a city, as you say, defined by by soccer. I haven't been to Naples. I will actually be going to that part of the world in in, in May. But I've read plenty about the city. I've watched documentaries about um, Napoli and specifically Maradona's time at Napoli. There's a a, a documentary made by the same person who made the the Senna uh, documentary F1 Ayrton Senna film. It is very good. I would recommend it. You don't just get an insight into Maradona the player. You get an insight into what Napoli or Naples is like as 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 a city. And they are obsessed with the team. They're still obsessed with the team that won the team in, uh, the title. Excuse me, in the late eighties, last won it in nineteen ninety. And you walk around Naples, and you'll come across murals of Maradona. There's in particular, there's there's one little corner that's got a giant mural, and it's like a shrine to yeah. to, to Maradona. That's pretty much exactly what it is. It's, it's actually a tourist attraction in in, in Naples, and, and tourists will go and visit and, and get their picture taken in in, in front of it. And there's you'll find uh, like funny little shops selling unofficial Napoli merchandise, and it's been 33 years since Napoli last won the Scudetto, and and the fact that they have been so close a number of times but fallen short has only kind of ramped up the anticipation further. And I know there'll be a lot of listeners who don't who don't need this context that I'm about to provide because it's Serie A and it's a league that loads people watch, and Napoli are. Not the biggest club in Italy, but they're still a notable club. But if, if people maybe aren't that familiar with Italian soccer, I would compare Napoli to Newcastle in the Premier League, where you have that sort of north-south divide. It's a, it's a one-team city in Naples, much like Newcastle United is. I would compare Maradona in terms of the symbolism, and I would say Maradona has even greater symbolism to the city of Naples than Alan Shearer, who's a player I'm going to reference here to the city of Newcastle, but nonetheless, Alan Shearer, he's he's seen as one of their own. He doesn't go to Manchester United to go and play for Celtic Ferguson. He stays. He becomes an icon of, of that team. And Newcastle United, obviously, in the 90s, through that Kevin Keegan team, they get close, but they, they fall just short. They're never able to win the title. And so 
if you're familiar with all that stuff with Newcastle, you get an idea of why this matters so much, not just yeah. to, Na- to Napoli, but to the city of Naples and why this is such a big deal for them this season. That's a good comparison with Newcastle, Graham, but I'd say it is it is heightened compared to Newcastle, having been to both cities. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that mural. I dragged my wife to go and see it, and it's not <laughs> like it's an isolated part of the city in any means. It's everywhere. Maradona stuff is everywhere. It's graffiti everywhere referring to him. And those stalls I mentioned, shelling shirts, they're, they're on you know, virtually every corner. And it's all, even on the modern kit, they put Maradona on, on the back of them. It's, it's, um, it's yeah, quite I mean, Dries Mertens was at the, he was either at the Roma game or the Juventus game. He came back to watch a game. He was wearing a modern Napoli shirt with Maradona on the back. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I think on. the majority of the, 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 the modern, the, the current day Napoli shirts have Maradona on the back as you, as you kind of referenced at the top of the show. Yeah. They do indeed, uh, very much a hero. And you mentioned that, Graham, that um, documentary, um, the Asif Kapadi one, is on HBO, should listeners want to check it out if they haven't it's very good. already. It is very good indeed. Lots of involvement with um, local investors, as they're referred to in White Lotus, mm. I believe. We shall uh, <laughs> park that one there. Joe, let's, uh, let's close this one out. Surely Napoli are going to win this. They can't blow this lead, can they? Unless there is a points deduction. This is their season, right? Yep. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I think Napoli will win the Scudetto this year. I think it's it has been one of the best stories in European soccer this season and maybe one of the best of the last few years. They're a joy to watch. They're incredibly talented. It's a well-built squad. They're a well-coached team that play good soccer, that play fun soccer to watch. They, they check all the boxes, even with an injury or, or two injuries. I to, to Even some of their best players, I think they have this thing pretty yeah. much wrapped up. And like Graham said... I think a lot of the intrigue now, for me, shifts to what can they accomplish in the Champions League. And, and that's, a, that's a key point, Joe, comparing Napoli this season to last season. So as, as I said earlier, they were in a similar position last season. Then injuries hit. Victor Osimhen was out for, I believe, two to three months, and that really cost them. And then almost exactly the same happened this season where Osman got injured a month before the World Cup break. He missed a lot of game time. And so you're thinking, oh, it's happening again. But in come Raspadori and Giovanni Simeone and Napoli just didn't skip a beat at all. And that just says to me, they're ready. It would take a complete collapse. It would take, in the same way, maybe I'm, I've tempted fate by comparing Napoli to Newcastle, Newcastle United, <laughs> but if we're talking about collapses, it would take a Newcastle United, Kevin Keegan-esque yeah. collapse at this point for them not to win the Scudetto. It would indeed. Uh, Graham, final question. Do you think this team, when, when do the Premier League vultures come in and start picking the carcass of this Napoli team, so to speak? <laughs> We've seen it like with great Ajax teams in recent years where they yeah. just get pulled apart. Is, is that inevitable? Yeah, unfortunately, I think it is. Um, Napoli just aren't at the same level of wealth. Of of We talk about how um, the big Italian clubs are not on the same level of wealth as most of the Premier League. You know, Leeds United signing Weston McKinney from Juventus, and that's Juventus traditionally the wealthy, wealthiest club in Italian football. So for Napoli to be at a lower level than some of the bigger Italian clubs, they are you know two or three levels below the biggest European teams who will come in and spend... 100 million euros plus on on the players that they have. I think Osimhen seems like momentum's gathering already for him to leave at the end of the season. What I will say is De Laurentiis has a reputation for driving a hard bargain. And and Koulibaly is an example of a player who every summer for about five years, he was was leaving that club to go to Real Madrid. He was going to Manchester City. He was going to Manchester United. And obviously he left ultimately last season to go to Chelsea. That kind of felt like a move that was four or five years overdue for for Koulibaly. So he is he is um, not the easiest to deal with. I've seen people comparing De Laurentiis to kind of a, an Italian Daniel Levy in the way that he's quite difficult to deal with in in the transfer market. So it wouldn't surprise me if Napoli only sell kind of one big player a, a season. So maybe it's awesome in this summer, then Kvaratskhelia a year after that. That that might be a way of them managing it. And obviously we've talked about how good they are from a, from a scouting point of view. Maybe they can absorb that and find replacements. But yeah, unfortunately it does feel like it's inevitable this team will get picked apart and we'll see players like Kvaradona and Osman in the Premier League in the near future. We will indeed. Nottingham Forest uh, warming up their hands, getting ready to sign <laughs> all those players, I'm sure. And but if if it's not like a mass exodus this summer, Graham, it feels like maybe there might be some sustained success for this team if they manage to only lose, say, a big player a season, right? That feels like they could stay maybe not title contenders, but certainly right up their top two potentially. 
And and the person who could sustain that, I think, is Luciano Spalletti. So Luciano Spalletti, he he is a bit of an anomaly, and he is an Italian coaching veteran. He's been around for a long time. He's coached uh, Roma certainly in the past. He was at Inter as well. I don't think that went very well for him from memory. He's they don't been like around ducks Europe. There, yeah. <laughs> no, not big fan of uh, ducks. Well, he didn't like Alexander Pato in Milan, hey. so maybe that was. Uh, that was something there. There it is. But um, he's a bit of an anomaly in that it feels like he's had a complete complete career renaissance and I would now consider him kind of at the vanguard of of, of coaching innovation, if, if you will. So if they manage to keep him, I think there's a good chance that for the next three, four seasons, he, he will sustain them and keep them competitive. But it is going to be difficult for them to replicate the the success of this season if they are selling players every summer i mean they can't count on doing a rebuild every summer like they did last year it's just not sustainable yeah i don't think spalletti will be enough on his own to keep napoli in this form even if they lose like like one of their superstars this summer which they almost certainly will i think that's going to be a massive blow to napoli And, and this is one of the the reasons why things are so difficult for teams outside of the premier league is that's very clearly the Premier League is the bottom of the funnel. That is where the players are going as they go down the funnel. They're ending up in the Premier League. That's where the money is. I have real concerns about Napoli's ability to... I think they could still compete for titles, but I, I don't really think they're going to be a, a Champions League threat. I don't really think they're going to be a shoe-in for the, the Serie A title next year, even if they only lose Osimhen instead of Osimhen and, and Cavaradana. So it's going to be difficult. Spalletti has done a very good job. I'm not trying to take away from him, but... I think those two players that we what we took special care to highlight earlier are just that important to this Napoli team. And between that and the landscape of, of soccer right now and where the, the sport is going in Europe, it's uh, it, it's going to be an uphill battle for them. It will indeed. Well, I think we're united in wishing them good luck because we like to see, uh, I'm not sure if you can call them an underdog, but certainly a new winner um, in the last few decades in Serie A. That will be good to see. Joe, would you like to know how to say good luck in Italian? It's quite fun. I- I would love to know. In bocca al lupo, which means in the mouth of the wolf. That's how they say it. Like, break a leg. Good luck. Isn't that In wow. bocca al lupo. Wow. Yeah, that's, in the mouth that's of good. the wolf, baby. Duolingo paying off for you. I know, right? I know. I'm learning some things. I know yes, no, and mouth of the wolf now. I'm learning. Very good. <laughs> uh, but for now, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for joining us on this big thing. Yeah, right back at you, Ryan. And Graham, uh, grazie per la grande cosa. Si. Hi. Cheers to you too. <laughs> Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We appreciate you. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, ciao. Wow. <laughs>